Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit us online at nwgospel.com forward slash citizens. My name is James Grout. That's my name if you didn't catch that in the introduction. And, um, and I have been a youth pastor, but um, it was a long time ago, like two years ago. So I've completely forgotten how to do that. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I, I know how to do it. Hey, so I don't really know you. I, I literally have not met most of you. And I think it's important that we get to know each other because we're going to spend the next like 30 minutes or so together. And... Um, we have to get to know each other. So I don't know what you think is the best way to get to know somebody else, but I think the best way to get to know somebody else is to tell them one of your deepest, darkest secrets. That's what I think we should do. So, so here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to say anything out loud. I'll, I'll, I'll get it all. Um, I just want you to think about the worst thing that you've ever done. Think about the worst thing that you have ever done, all right? Don't say it out loud, please. Please, you'll freak out everybody around you. Don't, please don't help other people with what you think is the worst thing they've ever done. Just you yourself. Worst thing you've ever done. Just think about it. Now, just total silence now. Total silence. Just, just don't say anything at all. Get it in your head. Worst thing you've ever done. Like, I'm talking about shameful things. Things that you don't want anyone to ever find out. You would never tell your best friend, okay? You got it? All right, now I just want you to turn to the person next to you and just share that with them really quickly. Just tell them. No, I'm just kidding. I want you to shout it out. We're all going to shout it all at once on three. I'm just going to count to three. And everybody except me because I'm mic'd, everybody's just going to shout out the worst thing that you've ever done. All right, ready? You all ready? It's got to be loud. It's got to be loud. You got to yell it out. If it's really loud, no one will hear anybody. All right, here we go. One, two, three. What? I swear one of these guys over here said embezzlement. (laughs) I embezzled. Somebody said loitering. All right. I really can't believe any of you yelled out whatever the worst thing is that you've ever done. Okay, so I want to tell you a story. And I have to tell you up front. This is probably one of the worst things I've ever done. But I'm not going to keep it a secret. I'm actually going to share it with you. All right? So a few years ago when I was in college, I, uh, I went to a, a small Bible college out in Minnesota. It was called St. Paul Bible College. Now they call it Crown College, which is really close to Clown College. So you have to be careful how you say it because I don't want anyone thinking that I went to a clown college. <laughs> that was for graduate school I did, but not undergrad. So I went to this little school and I stayed there one summer. I, I was there, I was, um, I was playing basketball there and I was getting a Bible and theology degree while I was there, but mostly playing basketball while I was there. But I stayed there one summer, I lived over the summer and there were no classes or anything, but I had to get a job. So I got a job on campus. And the job that I got was painting. My job was that I was gonna paint um, and I thought it was going to be great because it was, it was a beautiful summer, it was warm out, the sun was out, and I thought it was going to be great because I'd be painting outside, and they said, no, you're painting all of the bathrooms and shower rooms in all the dorms. 
So I spent the entire summer painting in a very confined space. So I, basically I was dizzy for the entire summer because I was painting with fumes in this very confined space. But my friends all got to be on the ground maintenance crew, which meant they spent all day outside getting a tan, going around and doing like nothing. They did nothing. They really did nothing. They were like, oh, I better mow something for a while. Oh, there's a tree I'll clip a branch off. They didn't, they didn't do anything. But so I, I saw them all the time. I'd be walking around with my buckets of paint and they'd be outside just walking around. But the part that really got me was that they got to drive the campus golf cart. Like wherever they went on campus, they got to drive around in the campus golf cart while I'm dying of fumes in a shower room somewhere painting. And, and they're out there and, and all I wanted to do was be on the ground crew, but it was full and they didn't need another ground crew person, so I never got to do it. So one night, some friends and I are sitting around, three guys, all three of them are from the football team, big dudes. I'm, I'm tall, I'm, I'm about 6'5". These guys were all pretty big guys as well. We're sitting around one night trying to figure out what we're going to do, and we're hungry. And there's no food in the school. The cafeteria is closed. The store is closed. We can't get anything because it's like close to midnight. So we're like, what are we going to do? I'm starving. None of us have a car. What are we going to do? There's this gas station. It's about three miles away. I'm like, three miles isn't very far. We could walk. And they're like, we're not going to walk. I said, yeah, we're not going to walk. I said, hey, we could take the golf cart. You guys, have the, you guys know how to get to the golf cart, right? They're like, yeah, it's in the garage. Let's do it. Let's take the golf cart out on County Road 30, which is a highway. We're going to take the golf cart out on the highway and drive three miles to the Tom Thumb gas station so that we can buy some pretzels or something. So that's our plan. It's midnight. We're not thinking very clearly, but that's our plan. So we go down to the garage where the golf cart is kept, and we go to open the garage, and the door was locked. And we're like, ah. Uh. So we picked the lock. So, which... Wasn't that hard? So we pick the lock and we go into the garage. Now we're in the garage and I see it. There's the golf cart. It's over against the wall. It's an electric golf cart. It's plugged in. It's recharging. And I see it there and I'm like, this is going to be great. I'm driving. And they're like, it's a two-seater. There's four of us. I'm driving. So I say, I'm, let's go. I hop in and I go to turn it on and the key is gone. There's no key. So we're like, oh, got to hotwire it. So we hotwire the golf cart. And we, which was not that hard. It was just a couple of wires and the battery and we were going. So, so we, we put up the garage door and we drive out and I'm having so much fun. I totally forget that we were going to go to the gas station to get food. I'm just driving all over the football field. I'm doing donuts in the football field. I'm driving all over the campus. We're going over hills. Guys are falling off and jumping back on. We're having an amazing time. And then I said, oh, guys, we we're going to go to Tom Thumb. we got to go and get pretzels. So we start driving out this long, windy road that the college is on, and it goes down to County Road 30. And we're just about to County Road 30, which is a really, really bad place to go with a golf cart. I just want to tell you that right now. By the, by the mercy and intervention of God, as we got to County Road 30, the battery on the golf cart started to die. It was going, like, oh, we're never going to make it there. So now we got to go back. So now, not only do we have to go back, but we have to push the golf cart back. So I was like, one of us has to steer. So I'm driving, and the three of them are pushing, and, and we're going, and it's kind of uphill till you get to a certain point, and then you can get in, and you can just coast down. So they're pushing, and we're going uphill. It's about 1 a.m. by this time, and it starts to rain. Now, at first, it's just raindrops. You know, raindrops like a rain. You know, when it rains, there's raindrops. And that's what we had at the beginning there. 
But that only lasted for a little while because I don't know if any of you have ever lived in the Midwest, but in the summer, you get these horrific thunderstorms. So pretty soon the rain starts, it's like a lot heavier. Pretty soon there's lightning and there's wind and there's probably thunder because that usually goes right after lightning. So there's lightning and wind and thunder and all this stuff and it's crazy and it's like this torrential downpour. We are completely soaked. There's four of us in this like trying to push this golf cart up and we are laughing our heads. I've never had so much fun in my life. It was like we were we were close to death but but we were so happy and I at least I was happy I was driving. So we're pushing we get up to the top of the hill. They all give it one last shove and it starts going down this long, long kind of sloping hill and they all jump in. And we're flying along now. Well, we're, we're rolling along. We're not flying along. We're rolling along at golf cart, powerless golf cart speed. And as we're going down the hill, we're laughing and we're having like this, the best time ever. And then off in the distance, I see, now keep in mind, it's like 1.30, maybe 2 in the morning at this point. Off in the distance, I see two people walking towards us. At two in the morning, in a torrential downpour, it's still pouring rain and there's lightning and thunder. And there are these two people, and I'll just describe them as two shadowy figures because I can't see exactly who they are. But as we get closer, I realize they're holding hands. So it's a couple out on a little romantic walk in a torrential downpour at two in the morning, which is weird. <laughs> this is weird. So as we're getting closer to them, we're starting to talk to each other about what are we going to say? What are you going to say? I'm going to say, oh, I'm going to say something like, uh, hey, nice night for a walk or something like that. <laughs> like, I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but that's probably going to be something. So they're walking along and we're getting closer and closer. And I'm like, who is that? I cannot. And then as we get closer, all of a sudden I recognize who it is. The guy is a guy by the name of Mark. And Mark worked for the college. And Mark was in charge of one thing on the campus. And that was all the vehicles. Anything with wheels, Mark was in charge of it. And I remember thinking immediately to myself, what are the odds? What are the odds that the only guy on campus who would actually care that we have stolen the golf cart is out for a 2 a.m. Uh, stroll with his girlfriend? I was just like, this is unbelievable. So now we have nothing funny to say because we know that Mark's going to get mad at us and we might actually lose our summer jobs. We were making six bucks an hour. So, so I'm a little nervous at this point. So now... We're, instead of having funny things to say to them, we're acting like we don't see them at all. Like we're going to pass them within a foot of them. We're just going to pretend we don't see them as we're rolling in this defunct golf cart down the road. So we roll past them, and I can't resist. I just have to look. So I turn and I look, and Mark looks at me, and he just goes, put it back. <laughs> Happy feeling gone. We're all just like, so we just roll it all the way back to the garage. We put it in the garage. We towel it off. We plug it in. We go in and we sit down on the floor and we are so depressed because we're like, we were having so much fun and then Mark saw us and that ruined everything and now he's going to tell our boss Dave first thing in the morning, Dave's probably going to fire us and the deal is if you don't have a job on campus, you can't live on campus so now I'm going to have to go home, I have to move back to my parents' house for the rest of the summer without a job and I have to tell them it's because I stole a golf cart and I'm just feeling like an idiot and I'm like, oh man, what are we going to do? we got to convince him not to tell Dave but how can we do that? Like, what are we going to do? How can we get him to not tell Dave? How can we make sure we don't get fired? So we sat there on the floor, four Bible college students sat there on the floor. And I'm just going to tell you right now, the story from this point on is fairly unbelievable, but totally true. All right? 
We're sitting there on the floor, and I don't remember who said it, but one of them said, what if we killed Mark? <laughs> Four Bible college students, three of whom later became pastors, one who became a cop. We were sitting there on the floor, and somebody said, why don't we kill? And, and you would think immediately the other three would go, no, what are you, crazy? But no, our response was, that's not, yeah, that's got... That's maybe, could we make it look like an accident? Because then they wouldn't know it was us, and then we would still be not getting fired. So what do you think? So, so then we started plotting a homicide and trying to make it look like an accident. We're like, we could burn down his dorm. We could, like, we could put him in his car and crash it into a pond. We, we had all kinds of ideas. And I know it doesn't sound true, but it's totally true. We were actually having this conversation. It was 2 in the morning. So after a few minutes, we're kind of sitting there thinking about it, and, and I said, oh, man, you guys, we cut it. We, we're going to have to kill his girlfriend, too, because she saw us. Like, they were there together. There's two witnesses. She lives in a different... Well, I just totally threw up. She lives in a different... It was just... It was spit. It was not vomit. She lives in a totally different dorm. We got we to gotta commit two homicides in the same night, two different dorms, make them both look like accidents. And we started planning again. And so eventually we got so tired and could not come up with any really solid plan. We just said, you know what? Forget it. Let's just go to bed. Maybe we'll get down in the morning early enough before our, our breakfast. And we can talk to Mark before he talks to Dave. And we'll just solve it all then. And, we'll, and we just went to bed exhausted and so disappointed. So we go and we lay down. We go to sleep. We wake up the next morning. We all meet early in the morning before breakfast, and we run down there because we, we just want to get to Mark and just say, sorry, we're really sorry, please don't tell Dave. We walk into the breakfast area, and there's Mark sitting at a table talking to Dave. And we're like, oh, it's too late. So then we're just like, well, might as well have our last breakfast before we get fired. So we walk in, and as we walk past the table, I kind of look at Mark out of the corner of my eye, and he just goes, did you have a good ride last night? And I was like, kind of looking at Dave, and I could tell Dave had no idea what Mark was talking about, and he hadn't actually told him, and I was like, yeah, it was pretty good. Sorry about that. And he goes, yeah, it's fine. Just don't ever let it happen again. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, okay. So I go over to the table, and the guys, I'm like, guys, he didn't tell him. They're like, he didn't tell him? I was like, no, he didn't tell him. They're like, ah, that's amazing. We're like having breakfast, eating our like Pop-Tarts, just like enjoying them so much. Like Pop-Tarts have never tasted so good because we didn't lose our $6 an hour jobs. We're so excited about it. And so we're sitting there and we're all happy and we're feeling great. And, and, and we were just kind of, it was just kind of got quiet for a second. And I said, oh man, guys, aren't you glad we didn't kill Mark? <laughs> would have really ruined our breakfast. So I told that story one time when I was actually visiting that college. I went back as a speaker to that college years later, and I told the story, and this kid comes up to me afterwards. He, like, he was like, hey, that guy Mark you were talking about, what, what was his girlfriend's name? And I said, oh, I, I don't remember her name now, Lori, I think. I said, it was Lori, and it, they actually got engaged, and they got married. He goes, yeah, that's my mom and dad you were planning to kill. <laughs> I was like, whoa. And I said, dude, I am so sorry. I mean, I'm really... I'm really glad you're here and everything, but I'm so sorry that I was going to kill your parents. Um, 
And then I vowed to him. I said, I will never tell that story again. He goes, oh, no, that's a great story. You got to tell that story. I'll tell it all the time. So that's one story I always tell. Now, here's the part where I would love to tell you. I would love to take that story and then turn it into the illustration of what I'm going to be talking about tonight. But there's just absolutely no way I can do that because it has nothing at all to do with what I'm talking about tonight. I just wanted you to know that I once plotted a double, double homicide when I was a Bible college student. So if you're going to go to Bible college... You never know. All right. So no one got hurt. So let me, uh, let me just ask you a question. All right. You, this is a rhetorical question. Do you know what that means? It means don't yell out an answer. It's rhetorical. I just want you to think about it a little bit. All right. So the question is, have you ever heard somebody described as being a person who has great faith? Or have you ever... <laughs> Who answered? <laughs> or have you ever, have you ever, was that you? Did you answer? Haven, Haven, stop. Uh, if, have you ever heard anybody say that he's a man of faith or she is a woman of faith? That person has great faith. Have you ever wanted to hear somebody say that about you? Have you ever wanted to hear somebody in, who's close to you say something really positive, really encouraging, somebody that would, something that would really make you feel good about who you are? I want to take you to a story in the New Testament where a woman who didn't know Jesus at all, had never met him, finally met him, and he gave her what I would say is one of the greatest compliments that Jesus or anyone could give to someone. He told her, Woman, you have great faith. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up. This is a weird story. I'll tell you that right now. It's a little bit weird, but it's got a great ending. Matthew chapter 15, starting at verse 21. I'm going through verse 28. Matthew 15, 21 to 28. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay, because I'm going to read the verses out loud. So if you have your ears with you, then it's almost the same thing. And it's right there behind me as well. So, <clears throat> My version says this. Leaving that place, so Jesus is with his disciples, and he's been doing uh, ministry and teaching in a variety of places, and it says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, this is weird, he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. I know, we'll get there. And she replied, yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Let me pray for just a moment. Holy Spirit, I invite you to teach us. I invite you to uh, open our ears. I invite you to open our hearts to what you want to say. 
Um, I invite you to make this story come to life for us, even right now, so that we can understand a little of what Jesus was trying to show us here. Help us to see that, I pray. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, so it's a weird story, right? Here's the first thing. She gets called a person of great faith by Jesus, all right? Jesus says to you, woman, you have great faith. But here's what I believe about great faith. Truly great faith is the simple belief that God is good and does good. That's actually the last thing on your sheets if you want to fill in the lines there. Truly great faith is the simple belief that God is good and does good. Here's what, uh, here's what I see in this passage. I see, first of all, that great faith is well-informed. That's the first thing I see. So let's look at this. This is a weird passage, but I want to look at it. So Jesus leaves this place where he was, and he goes into a region of Tyre and Sidon, and here's what you need to know about that region. There were people there who were not Jewish. They were not Jewish people. They were Greek people. They were, other, they were other kinds of people who were living there. They were not Jewish. And Jewish people did not associate with those who were non-Jewish people. All right? Do you understand? So then it says, the next verse says, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him. Now, here's what you need to know about that, because that's a really weird verse. In the Old Testament, the enemies of God, the, enemy of the enemies of the Israelites were called the Canaanites. Have you ever heard of that name before, the Canaanites? In the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus came to live on earth, there were these enemies of the Israelites called the Canaanites, and they were always at war with one another. There are no longer Canaanites at this point when this story happens. But Matthew calls this woman a Canaanite woman. And here's why. He wants the readers, the readers of the book of Matthew would have all been Jewish. Those, that's who the book of Matthew was written for. He wanted them to understand that this woman was not a Jew and she was actually an outsider. She was actually from this, she was a descendant of the greatest enemies of the Israelites, the Canaanites. He wanted the readers, he wanted you and me to understand that because that's really important to the rest of the story and it's really important to the way Jesus interacts with her. So a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David. This is the second thing about great faith. Great faith is well-informed. Great, uh, that's actually the first thing. The second thing is that great faith is well-practiced. Great faith is well-informed. She knew something about Jesus. This woman came to Jesus already knowing something about him. How do I know? Because she says, Lord, ruler, master, Lord, teacher, all of those things. Lord is that idea. Son of David. What was Jesus' father's name? Anybody know that? His earthly father, not his heavenly one. That was Yahweh. His earthly father was who? Joseph. Mary and Joseph. What does this woman call him? Son of David. Was his father's name David? It was not. You are correct. If I had a prize, you would all get a prize. Why does she call him son of David? She's saying that he is from the line of David, the greatest king of all time in Israel. That he's from the line of David. He was actually born in Bethlehem, the city of David. He is from the line of David. She knows who he is. She knows that he is, this, that he's a, that he's a Jewish man. She knows that he's an important Jewish man. She calls him Lord. She knows that he actually has power. 
because she comes to him with a very specific problem. She comes to him and says, have mercy on me. I'm an outsider, I get it, but have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. She had a daughter with a demon that was living inside of her, dwelling inside of her, and causing we don't know what kind of suffering. We do know from other parts of the New Testament where we read stories about demon possession that sometimes demons would actually cause people to hurt themselves or throw themselves into a fire or throw themselves off a cliff or whatever they could do, they would hurt. So she's suffering horribly. We don't know what the suffering is, but she's suffering from a demon. She came to Jesus for help with a demon. Why? Because she knew that Jesus had authority and power. She was well informed about whom she was speaking with. She knew who she was speaking with. So then this weird thing happens. Great faith is well informed, but it's also well practiced. And I want to show you the practice of faith that she demonstrates here. Jesus She says, my daughter's suffering. Please have mercy. She's suffering. She has a demon that is torturing her. And Jesus says nothing. He doesn't answer her. I get the feeling he just kept on walking. She's crying out. She's asking him for help. And he keeps walking. And it's enough silence that his followers start to go, "Um, Jesus, if you're, you know, if you're not going to say anything, then just send her away because she's annoying. All right, She just keeps yelling. She keeps screaming. If you're not going to say anything, send her away. Just send her away. And what does Jesus say to them? He answers to them, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. That's a weird answer, isn't it? For them to say, send her away. And he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Here's what he's saying. I came so that the lost sheep of Israel, the nation of Israel, would have salvation. I came for the Jews. That's what Jesus is saying here. I came for the Jews. So at first it sounds like he's being a little bit rude because he's just ignoring her. And then he sounds a little elitist because he says, no, I came just for the Jews. I didn't come for anyone else. And the woman comes up to him. She hears him say that to the disciples. And the woman comes and kneels before him and she says, Lord, Help me. This is her practicing her faith. Even though at first she was ignored, and and, and then after that, Jesus said, I didn't come for you. I came for Israelites. She comes and she continues to say, Lord, help me. She's practicing her faith. Lord, help me. He replied, if the previous reply was weird, this one's even weirder. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. What? <laughs> what in the world does that? Did Jesus feel uncomfortable and he needed to change the subject up a little bit? No, here's what he's actually saying. He's saying, I've come for the nation of Israel. And that is the children's bread. What I have come to bring is the children's bread, the bread, the nourishment, the healing, the hope, the salvation for the nation of Israel. That's who I've come for. And do you know what Israelites called anybody who wasn't Jewish? A pagan? They called him a dog. A pagan dog. That was the common phrase for a pagan. The Jewish people would say, thank you, God, that you did not make me a pagan dog. That's that's so great. Thank you. That's one of the things that they would actually pray. 
and they called them dogs. So when Jesus says it's not right to give the children's bread, what is meant for the Jews, to the dogs, he's actually using a racial slur. Now I have to tell you, I preached this passage one time in the city of Chicago at an all African American church. I was the only white person there. And at this point I said, it sounds to me like Jesus is a racist. And a woman in the back, about 100 years old, said, oh no. (laughs) That's all she said. Just, oh no. And so I said, I'm going somewhere with this. And she said, all right, preach on. So if you will give me a second to preach on. It sounds like Jesus is being racist here. He just called this woman a dog, a pagan dog. That's what it sounds like. Why would Jesus do that? I want to tell you why. He was testing. Jesus was doing a test here. And it seems like he was testing the woman. But I want to tell you right now that I believe he was testing his disciples. He was testing his followers. He was testing to see if they understood how valuable this woman was. He was testing to see if they understood that even though she was not a Jewish person, even though she was not one of the children, that she was important and she was valuable. And so he was testing his followers because he already knew what she was about to say. Because he said, it's not good to give the children's bread to the dogs. And she comes to him, and this is where... Great faith is well-placed. That's the final one. Great faith is well-placed. She comes to him and, and she says, yes, it is. Yes, it is good to give the bread to the dogs that is intended for the children. Yes, it is. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Here's what she's saying. I don't need the bread. Lord Jesus, you are so powerful and you are so good and I believe so much in you, I don't need the bread. I only need the crumbs. If you give me just the crumbs, that'll be enough. That'll be enough for me. And here's how I imagine Jesus' response. I have no idea what his face looked like, but I feel like it was sort of a, That's the right answer. That is the right. And then kind of a, you guys heard that, right? Like you guys heard what she just said. That's the right answer. Yes, I, I, can't, I am the Jewish Messiah. Yes, that is who I am. Yes, I am primarily going to live my life in this Jewish world and share the, the good news of the kingdom with Jewish people. But I want you to hear this woman, this outsider, this one who we refer to as a dog, I want you to hear her say, no, your power is so great and I believe so much in you that just the crumbs is all I need. And Jesus says, oh, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And it says, and her daughter was healed at that moment. I'm sure she found that out later, but I'm sure she was able to piece it together. That at the moment Jesus said that, wherever her daughter was, the demon left her and she was healed. Oh, wouldn't you love 
to hear Jesus say, oh, you have great faith. But I want you to understand, great faith does not require you being a great person. It does not require a lot of effort on your part. Great faith is simply believing that God is good and God does good. So I don't know where you are. I have no idea what's going on in your life. But if there's any part of your life where you're saying, I don't think anything can be done there. I don't think that can be fixed. I don't think that can be undone. If there's any part of your life where you're saying, I I, I believe in God, but I'm going to have to fix this one myself. Because God's not here. He's not doing anything. I don't hear him. I don't. I don't feel like he's really engaged. If there's any part of your life where you're doubting, maybe you're, maybe you're doubting whether or not Jesus really has that kind of authority at all in the first place. I want to tell you that it does not have to be great the way you enter into faith. It can be simple. It can be calling out to Jesus. And saying, I I need you. I need you. And if you don't hear from him, you say, please, I need you. And if the answer that you get from him isn't the answer that you want, just say, but Jesus, I just need a little. I don't need a whole loaf of bread. The crumbs are enough. I think that this is what great faith looks like. It looks really simple. It looks really humble. And it looks like a person who wants to encounter the, the power of God in a life-changing life way. And that can be you. And that can be me. We don't have to be... I, I think about... When I hear the term, he's a man of great faith, I think about people like Billy Graham. And so, uh, you may not know who Billy Graham is, but Billy Graham is, was a preacher who, who, generally speaking, people of, of around the world looked at him as a man of great faith. But I believe that this woman, who we don't even know her name, we kind of know where she's from, this, this woman who came to Jesus in this humble manner, she was the one who was told, you have great faith. He only said it to one other person that we have a record of in the New Testament. And that guy also wasn't a Jew. He was actually a Roman centurion. So the only two people that Jesus ever said, you, are, you have great faith, was a centurion and a woman, a, Syro- a Syrophoenician woman or a, a Canaanite woman. Those are the only two that he ever said that to. That tells me that he never said that to Peter. <laughs> he never said that to, these, to some of his other followers. He said that to these two would-be outsiders. That tells me that you can have great faith, that I can have great faith. And that faith can make a huge impact in our lives. I'm going to have to come back some other time to tell you the story that I was going to tell you about how my, my own faith was healed because I struggled really, really badly with, the, with faith around the issue of prayer. I just didn't know if prayer worked. I didn't know if it worked. I didn't know what happened when I prayed. And I was a pastor when this was going on. I'm having this kind of doubt when in the middle of being a pastor. And God showed me in several different ways 
that he was listening to my prayers. And he kind of said to me, what I do with your prayers is not up to you anyway. Don't worry about that. I'm just asking you to pray. And I look at this woman and I look at what she did. She was praying, all right? She was talking to Jesus face to face, but it's the same thing. She was saying, God, Lord, have mercy. This is a huge problem. I just need a little bit of your authority. A little bit of your power is enough. So I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll come back up at this time. And I'm going to invite you to do something. I'm just going to have you bow your heads right now where you are. I'm just, I'm just going to invite you to do something. And this does not need to be weird at all. So just bow your heads. Everybody with your heads bowed. Not looking. Those of you who are walking up here, go ahead and don't bow your heads because that would be weird. So... If you're, out, if you're just sitting out there right now, I just invite you to bow your heads for just a moment. And I just, if, if tonight you're thinking about some area of your life where you've kind of given up hope, where you believe that maybe there is no healing, maybe there is no, um, there is no fixing a problem, if there's some area of your life where, you, where that's true and you want to recommit to praying a prayer of faith around that issue tonight, I just want you to just put your hand up right where you are. Don't, don't have to look around. Just, yeah, tons of you. Lots of you. Great. Thank you. So I'm going to pray for you as we, as we close here. Uh, I'm going to pray for those of you who raised your hands. I know not all of you did, but many of you did. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer of faith, and I invite you to pray this prayer as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, I thank you so much for uh, the fact that you engaged with this woman in the way that you did, in a way that was so compelling to your followers and to us, in a way that pointed to the truth that simple belief in you as God and you as good was all that this woman needed for the healing of her daughter, for the thing that she was most concerned about to be true. So as we pray simple prayers of faith, crying out to you for help I pray that you would hear us I ask that you would you would answer our prayers that you would help us see what great faith looks like lived out so all of the prayers that are represented by those who raised their hands here tonight God in, God in heaven I pray that you would answer these prayers not like a genie answers a wish, but like a God who loves his children, loves his children, and wants what's best for them, even when they can't see what's best for themselves. I pray that you would answer their prayers like the loving Father that you are, caring for their needs, even the needs they don't know they have. Answer our prayers. Grow our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.